This is Marketable, a Notice Pictures podcast that explores the ever-changing landscape faced by marketing teams. Welcome back to Marketable. I'm Jeff Barry here with my partner, Ryan Jones. Hello. Today we're going to talk about Air, the movie directed by Ben Affleck with Matt Damon and their newly formed collective, what's it called, the Artist Equity, Ryan? Uh, Yeah, I believe that's right. So, Ryan, you saw this movie in the movie theater. You were an excellent movie goer. You're really uh, diligent about it. And um, Well, I'm an AMC Stubbs Plus member, so I get three movies a week for $25 a month. It's the best deal in entertainment. And, uh, well, for people like me that see a million movies a year, it's, uh, they, they lose their money on me. You know, it's funny. We'll have to talk about that at some point because that was like, uh, what was the first company that came out with that? Movie, movie pass? pass? Movie Pass. Yeah. And then oh, they I went away. That. And then yeah. it was like all the rage. And then it kind of died off. Yeah. And then pandemic. And like, I honestly didn't even know that they were back doing it now. But um, yeah. it, it is certainly a great deal. They all, Movie Pass went out of business because of me. Because I saw, especially when you get into award season, it's not even close. You you see, you know, three, four movies a week. I, I'll see three movies a day sometimes uh, during award season. So, and Man. I'm not even getting paid to do that. No, it's so it's so you're so diligent about it, and you're 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 well informed about what's happening, what's coming, what's showing, what's coming up. And so you saw Air in the movie theater. It shortly thereafter, uh, after a couple of weeks, came out on Prime, which is where I watched it at home. But when you saw it, you uh, contacted me right after and were like, we have to do a podcast about this. We got to talk about it. So I'm curious as to why it struck you that we were, you know, something that you wanted to talk about on Marketable. Yeah, well, and I have to say, you know, first of all, kind of, uh, we talked about this in our first episode, but our background is in filmmaking. And so we are, you know, engaged in the the film culture and everything. And so, you know, I had been hearing about Air for months and months. I'm a big uh, subscriber to the Ringer network of podcasts and uh, listen to a fair amount of Vanity Fair podcasts about film and television. So I try to keep myself myself informed so that when these things come out, I can check them out. And I was definitely excited about Air because, you know, it's the first time that Ben Affleck and Matt Damon have uh, worked together since Goodwill Hunting, as hard as that is to believe. But then having seen it, well, first time so... that they've worked together as, like, writers, producers. No, it's the first time they've, well, yes, on screen together, I guess, is the thing, uh, specifically, because they have they they did the last duel where they wrote right. together on that with another writer, um, but this is, like, their first kind of, yeah, duo thing again, and where they're, they're sharing the screen. Yeah, I wanted to make sure we didn't forget Last Duel because Matt Damon's mullet in that movie was oh, award worthy. The the hair, the in hair that movie the across hair the incredible. board is outstanding and, and an underrated movie, I would say. Agreed. Actually. Um, but you know, I think that first of all, to position this movie germane to sort of our our marketable context, this is a movie that is coming out and and probably leading the charge in a series of movies that exists in this context of product origin stories. You have 
Apple TV Plus had uh, Tetris, mm. um, which mm-hmm. uh, was not my cup of tea, um, but uh, exists in that framework. Air, um, coming up, you have the Flaming Cheetos movie. Right. I had the chance to see Blackberry, um, starring Glenn Howerton and oh, yeah, Jay Baruchel. It's it's really good, really good. I would say actually, of these movies, uh, which are kind of I haven't seen uh, the Flaming Hot Cheetos movie, um, but of the ones that I've seen, Air and Blackberry are kind of like on the same level mm. because you really are getting this inside look into how products are not only created but prepared for marketability and Mm. you know you can't have one without the other and so air is sort of like the more prestige of those two that i just named but you know it's got the cast it's got the writing it's got um you know everything going for it and there's a a lot of narrative around it definitely the two of them coming back together their artist equity uh approach to movie making this is the first one in that they're really telling a lot of narrative beyond just the story itself that the story of the movie is is a reason people are interested in it exactly yeah there's the marketing of the movie which is about marketing and the movie is a marketing tool for the new company which is operating on this completely different model of sort of profit sharing amongst cast and crew more so than just royalties so it's it's a really interesting sort of um phenomenon that it's uh, that it kind of finds itself in but then really just the movie itself, which, you know, takes place in the mid 80s and is about the origin story of Michael Jordan choosing Nike as his, um, you know, shoe of choice, the the one that he's going to be endorsing and wearing and all of that when Nike was a, you know, nothing brand, particularly in the world of basketball. And, you know, it just follows this one uh, character played by Matt Damon who is trying to get Michael Jordan to be the face of their basketball shoe. And really the thing that I kind of came away with it, came away from it with, was this feeling of, you know, do brands do this anymore? Take big swings and, you know, sort of put all their chips forward on a single person when maybe they're not well positioned to do that and uh they're maybe over leveraging themselves in a certain way and some of the conversations that occur in the movie and to be clear this movie is a conference room movie there absolutely there's very little that's like happening out in the world there's one scene where matt damon goes to michael jordan's family home and meets Mm -hmm. with his mom because she's supposed to be the decision maker Mm -hmm. in the family but everything else is in nike headquarters and designing the shoe and having conversations about how they're going to pitch michael jordan and the family and it just was really inspiring to think about how do you think outside the box to get somebody that you're never going to get and and what they did and they they intercut it with these shots of like the Nike, you know, rules for success and everything, which were also really inspiring. But yeah, I just kind of came away with it thinking like in this 
kind of culture where we're in where it's like, well, let's make sure that we're being totally safe and our investment is 100%, you know, protected and all of that. And I don't even, I'm not trying to get into like cancel culture or any of that mm-hmm, kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I just mean, you know, financially, are we willing to take big swings? Creatively, are we willing to take big swings because we believe in something as opposed to just believing that this will be a, a safe choice, I guess. So I, I don't know. That was my take. I, I'm curious what, what you thought. Yeah, I was, well, I should take mention one thing previous to this is that I had read Shoe Dog last year, which is the Phil Knight right. autobiography. And I don't think you read that, right? No. It's no. so good. It is. Yeah. I, it was like a, I was looking for a book that just, you know, we were slammed with work. It was like during pandemic, just looking for, I was like, oh, let me stay. You know, I got like the, you know, read the first few pages before I bought it. And I was like, wow, this is actually really interesting. And so having read that, they touch on this period of time a little bit in the book because it was really an explosion point for the company, for Nike, when they really did start to take over basketball and they gained them you know it's there's a line in the book about it i think or sorry line in the movie i think it's ben affleck says you know people wear running shoes when they go running and then when they go to the grocery store they wear running shoes as well and they're saying at that point like people only going to wear basketball shoes to go play basketball Uh, well when in fact what really happened and why nike really took off was that People wore basketball shoes to go play basketball, but actually, yeah. you know that they said that what it was going to be a, maybe a million pairs that they were going to sell. Actually, everybody else started wearing basketball shoes, you know. Yeah. So that, now they're a fashion staple. Yeah, absolutely. And the, and, the Jordan ones continue to oh be my God. incredible uh, shoe. You know, every time they release a new colorway, it's yep. it's an event, and you know, they're I post pandemic as you know had a bit of a, a new, I caught the virus of, uh, shoes, shoes. and <laughs> I suddenly was just like all about, you know, dress shoes and designer sneakers and all of this stuff. And I see certain colorways of the Jordan ones that, you know, they sell for a thousand dollars and they're, yeah. you know, 10 years old, five years old. It's just certain colorways hit and it's those jordan ones i mean people love the jordans across the board mm-hmm. and i mean i got my first pair of jordans when i was in eighth grade and uh I, I can't remember the number of them but it was the first time i had a pair of shoes that when i walked into school all of a sudden people were like whoa nice kicks hey oh my god ryan nice kicks that, yeah. and i was like this is the best day yeah. of my life especially in middle school yeah and so yeah the, that investment in the brand and and kind of going against type of saying people aren't going to wear basketball shoes except on the blacktop or on the court right and it's like no these are like fashion staples. yeah so it took over and i guess it's funny because at that time that's kind of what adidas had in a way because yeah. You know, they had that deal with Run DMC, and it was very fashionable at that time. And people were sort of wearing them for basketball. I mean, I guess people were wearing them for basketball players at that time. But Adidas was never really historically 
other than that, been a basketball shoe. I mean, they sort of make a nod to it in the movie. It, it, it moved out of that space pretty quickly. Yeah. Obviously, it's huge in soccer, you know, lifestyle. You know, those those shoes that were popular then that Run DMC wore, they're still wearing, people are still wearing those now. You know, those still have cachet in, in, in fashion in the world. And Adidas make great shoes, of course. But in, in Shoe Dog, they do talk about, you know, that time frame a little bit. Sonny Vaccaro is in there, and um, but they don't delve as deep into it. They spend a lot more time in the book with things that Sonny made mention to when Phil Knight's selling shoes out of his car and Tiger Brand and all of that stuff. And it, and it is really, really good. So it was interesting to see, you know, it was kind of like they took a small portion of the book and dove into it a little bit further at a very important point for the company and really one that, you know, they had already IPO'd by the time that of the time period of the movie that we're talking about but the trajectory of the company changed significantly and forever with jordan and it was a big swing and you know they they did put their chips all on the table there and it's interesting you know we know history because we're in the future of the movie and so it's you know you hear them talking about these things oh nobody's gonna wear shoes or you know this guy you hear him talking about you know who was like the the sixth pick of that draft i can't remember now off melvin something like that but like yeah talking about guys that played in the nba for a little while but of course like this is michael jordan you know and they say in there like jordan as like to whatever how many billion you know the the jordans account for within nike i mean it's massive um but yeah it's a great question like do and i was thinking about that i what i was thinking when i was watching not like you know do we do they take big swings like that but could this ever happen again could we right could it could this ever happen for a company that you know if we look at in in NBA terms, like Victor Wembanyama coming up, who's going to be the first draft pick, and the Spurs have him, somebody's going to sign him to a sneaker deal. Of course, I'd be surprised if it wasn't Nike. It would be a statement, probably, if it wasn't Nike. Um, but you know, is 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 Victor's shoe going to alter the trajectory of Nike or any other company? And I don't think so. You know, I was thinking back of like, what are other shoes? You know, Braun has his shoe every year, but you know, you know, Kobe's, you know, I feel like the Kobe's shoes were the last shoe that people were like really crazy about and have staying power that, that people are still trying to get Kobe's on third, you know, aftermarket and things like that. Um, yeah. But the market so, is so spread now where exa- it's not just, it's not just athletes that are making shoes that are desirable it's you know prior to his fall from grace kanye with yeezy right um you know it's designers like you know i one of my favorite pairs of shoes that i have is a a gucci adidas collaboration that is just like cool material unique colors and it's a great you know designer um so yeah like designers have gotten into the sneaker game so much more and it's like with athletes now that's not like an unproven quantity in terms of because of jordan and because of other people that have come since it's like it's a no-brainer that the the big shoe companies need to 
leverage whatever they can to land those top picks and the the best talent. What I'm kind of curious about is, you know, what's the analog in other industries now for, you know, being first in the thing that isn't the thing yet, you know, being on the lookout for the the Jordan Nike type partnership in, you know, um, I don't know what an appropriate industry would be, but um, you know, in cars or uh, whatever. Well, I think we've had, an inch, and this is where my mind went, and I was thinking beyond athletes because specifically thinking about influencers mm-hmm. because that is so much in the game now that, you know, you, you, in the movie there's this whole thread of like, we've got 250,000 and we want to spread this over three or four guys. And it's like, like you're saying, because of designers and things like that, it's not only spreading over athletes, it's influencers, it's lifestyle brand, people with a lifestyle brand and things like that. And thinking about how companies are targeting relationships with influencers for whatever their product may be, right? We can be outside of shoes, applicable to really anything. But do we, I, I think that there's a interesting case study that we've just had, which has been Bud Light. Right, right. And I think that was something where I really didn't, it wasn't on my radar at all. Um, I kind of have really learned about that whole thing looking back as it was sort of Mm -hmm. like in the news cycle for a few weeks there. But that did feel, you know, in retrospect here, does feel like they were, Bud Light was taking a swing at a different, demographic than maybe they think they have with their product um right and and that played out in a way that obviously they didn't expect and and a backlash that at the time of you know thinking about you know what what year what year is there 80 uh i i feel like it's 83 i mean obviously our media news cycles are social media creates an information highway that wasn't available whatever year 1980 year this was yeah, and so 1984 i just 84 okay 83 so a miss for them would have been difficult for the company in their their P&L sheet um, mm-hmm. whereas a miss now for bud light is an insane backlash that's dropped their stock. Yeah, well, and I, I would actually argue that in 1984, if Nike doesn't get Jordan, they're just, it's its not necessarily a hit to their P&L because it's not like they would have registered a loss, but they would have not gotten the monumental gain of what they earned from signing him. But yeah, with Bud Light, I was just reading something uh couple days ago that it is going to like take them a bit to kind of recover from right uh, from this and and it is surprising that it would have this is something actually that interests me is when brands make decisions on things and and you see this all the time you know there was the uh kylie jenner or kendall jenner i get them confused pepsi ad a number of years ago with her putting the flower and the you know 
SWAT team or right. That was thing. that was you yeah. know, and it's just like um, they make, and we all do it. We make miscalculations. Right. It's always interesting to me when huge brands like that make miscalculations, and we know because we have clients that we work with, and everything goes through so many rounds yeah, of you meetings. Think about how many people had their hands on that? Yeah, and and so then there are these miscalculations, and and then sometimes you can go through all these rounds of conversations and end up signing Michael Jordan. So it's just kind of like really difficult to discern what is the right thing to do for my brand at this exact moment. And and we see it playing out on both sides of the spectrum and everywhere in between. Yeah, and it's it's tenuous. You know, there's I understand when we're in meetings and we see things getting watered down and things being played very safe although it can be frustrating creatively, I understand why, mm-hmm, you know, because totally. like this Bud Light thing, the downside and the backlash can be catastrophic. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, this obviously, you know, people have lost their jobs at Bud Light because of it. People have stepped down, resigned. Um, you know, the stock has taken a hit, like you said, years for them to recover. And so that ability for information to get to people and then people to have their comments about it to get out to other people, it makes something like that flare up and, and instantaneously be a problem for a brand because it goes a way that they didn't think it would go. So those instances make me really compassionate for brands trying to play it safe but the flip side to it is you know there's not a lot of value in playing it safe either you know what's that what's that risk reward but yeah you have to make big moves um, yeah to your point of the the beginning of this like that was a big move for them they did risk a lot uh but i just don't know how that works today you know and it goes to like cutting how do you cut through the noise there's so every basketball player i don't want to say everyone but the majority of you know your lottery picks coming out are going to get a shoe you know and they're starting to pull this back a little bit there was somebody i don't know if it was actually i think something around like Kyrie irving's shoe because of some comments that he had over the last couple of Mm -hmm. years they like pulled his shoe but his shoe wasn't really doing well anyway so they were like you know who needs a shoe now like it's like you know jordan did well and then everybody needed a shoe and now they're like well it doesn't it's not actually worth everybody having a shoe there's so many other outlets like you're seeing um something that jumped out to me in the movie that was funny was uh jason bateman's character uh, i can't remember his name off the top of my head right now but he you know we have sort of like little some title cards about what they're lives how they proceeded mm-hmm. how the company proceeded and things like that and jason bateman's character is credited for basically revolutionizing marketing around basketball players not only for nike but for shoe brands across the board and yeah. it's a little bit of an afternote but i was like oh wait i want to know more about that 
because he didn't you know we didn't right. get to see him do too much of that we you know we 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 caught little pieces of it he's really a sounding board for Matt Damon's character and playing a little right. bit safer and he knows what's on the line here with Sonny Vaccaro kind of risking not only his own job but maybe that whole department but we didn't really get to see uh how he kind of changed and revolutionized things when we we've we I guess in retrospect, we can think about, you know, there are some incredible commercials. You know, you think about the Spike Lee commercials with Jordan. Yeah. I mean, there's been um, really great moments that they've had, which I'm sure he had his hand in. And, and there's a little nod there at the end with, is it Phil, who's the designer, um, who figures out the Jumpman logo at the end. And like, right. you know, that whole Jumpman brand which at that point i was like oh yeah you know because jump man like you golf shoes jeter ward mm -hmm. um jump man cleats for uh, baseball they're i don't think they have yeah. a, a soccer boot um that i can think of but like you know they're another you know jordan's beyond just basketball yeah now yeah it's uh, to me like when you think about you know can brands take big swings like this how do you differentiate um yourself when the market is so saturated with marketing um and really there's a moment in the movie and this was really my favorite part was they're designing the sneaker mm. and they're like in the lab yeah. and we learn that there are these rules that the nba had in place that you know they could only be certain colors and certain mixes like a certain 60 percent white yeah and i think you were allowed to have red right or but not could, black or was it black and not red i can't remember yeah i don't remember i, I the thing i took away was that you know it had to be majority white mostly a white, white yes. shoe yeah yeah and so they wanted to completely change that and they were like, well, we're going to get fined $1,500. He's going to get fined $1,500 a game. Five grand a game. Oh, five grand. Five yeah. grand a game. And they say, well, we'll pay it. And that, to me, is actually kind of could be the key to success today, where it's kind of meta-marketing that's going mm. on, where it's the shoe itself and the shoe on the star's foot on TV, on the court. But then the announcers are also saying, presumably, oh, Jordan's wearing his his sneaker that doesn't follow the NBA rules. Again, that's one more game. He's getting fined $5,000. Uh, oh, and by the way, Marv, did you know Nike apparently is picking up the bill every, every game? And so it just like is seeping in in an organic way yeah and that's really organic you know authentic these are right. words that like are very cliche yeah. and tried keep, and overused now yep. right but you know it is important for it for messages to be sort of slipped in that way as opposed to and now we're throwing a commercial and look at this 30 second ad or let me listen to this person on a podcast who keeps mentioning the project right. or the product that they're that they're hawking um, under the auspices of an interview or whatever? Um, What's so, funny about that yeah. that meta meta story there is that kind of goes back to what we were talking about with the movie itself. You know, with this their collaboration again, exactly. 
artist yeah. equity you know it's that you have another storyline beyond just which is something that we talked about first or second episode of the show the storyline storytelling you know mm -hmm. having a bigger story around a product beyond just the product where you know we see it again and again that's the thing that cuts through beyond just a product a great yeah. you know you can have a great product that just doesn't get through you know the, the framing of it the marketing right. around it isn't right i mean historically we've seen that plenty of times and i'm sure there's plenty of brand frustration where like this is this is just an awesome product why can't we get it through but yeah. the story's not there to grab on you know in the sort of collective consciousness to yeah. adopt it and use it well and the same thing happens you know with films great movies don't do box office come and go right and maybe they have a cult following afterwards but you know it's because the marketing campaign isn't isn't strong enough or it's yeah it's it's not marketed correctly or it's not marketed at all because there's not budget for it and so we know that good products don't necessarily rise but good storytelling always does yeah great and point well said so if you if you root your product in solid storytelling and you know that can be funny dramatic evocative whatever it is as long as it's good storytelling then it seems much more unlikely that that product isn't going to uh, resonate as well because that's what we're connecting with we're not connecting with the product we're connecting with the story yeah and in regard to that five thousand dollar game fine that was also truthful and evocative in itself that they were willing to do that and so having that storyline out there obviously helps them but just the i they, they didn't have to fabricate that you right. know right because you can have a story if it's not if it's not organic if it's not grounded in truth then maybe the story doesn't work too but like they just had through their bold choices through taking a big swing at jordan other elements of it fell in line to be a great story around it by ha by making a bold choice and i do mm -hmm. you know i did appreciate that in the movie where sonny vaccaro keeps saying like hey phil like this is how you built a company this is how you you know we know you ipo'd we know you're a hundred million dollar company at that point but this is how you built a company and it, and it was how he built the company and 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 getting him to pushing him to say okay let's do it 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 made sense and uh that he you know sonny was you know trying to resonate with him in a way that you know he he's a maverick he did take those risks and and in shoe dog and you see it in the way that he's selling tiger brand and then actually gets you know what happens he's he was already successful and sort of overcame adversity uh created nike you know and then right harkening back to that and, and getting him to to that place but it does take a bold choice and you know we would talk we talk about it in acting terms like if you don't you know by making a choice you let your partner react to that choice mm -hmm. if nobody ever makes mm -hmm. a choice nothing happens in the scene right right and yeah. it's you know i think in that way in life too we can, if we make a choice you can make choices after it even if it's the wrong choice it's still yeah. the choice is better than no choice right stasis and if you know for nike had they just been in not gone hard after jordan just been in stasis they certainly would have been a different company than they are today right right yeah it, it's a fascinating story and i you know just kind of 
in closing, would definitely recommend it to anybody, particularly if you are in the marketing world, because, I mean, we didn't even get into like the pitch meeting, which is extraordinary, oh, which man, is, yeah. you know, you have to find the story to sell to the talent to, to right. say like, this is why we connect with you and why you can connect with us. I mean, it, it's powerful, powerful stuff. And also, you know, again, big swings. And so, you know, it's, we keep saying big swings. And so we're, we're mixing metaphors here between basketball and right, baseball right, right. a little <laughs> bit, but it's kind of like, you know, you, you got to take big swings, you know, when you're at the plate, but that doesn't mean doing it blindly. Um, right. Because I mean, that was always my problem at the plate was I, I close my eyes when I swing. <laughs> and uh, so as, you know, marketing professionals, it's like, we've got to take big swings, but always with our eye on the ball all the way through so that we can guarantee that whatever it is that we're trying to produce ends up being a home run and God forbid a foul ball. Yeah. But the, and that's the thing, right? The, the fine line between a foul ball and a home run, it's minuscule. Yeah. yeah, You know, you see a a guy that, that fouls one straight back at the plate and, you know, and, and he's like, oh, man, that was really close to having mm-hmm. one. And, and, and we see it with, with products. But like baseball, like you, you know, and, and this goes to something we talked about earlier, too, you know, with with live data, you know, a, having an A-B on a, on a marketing campaign and you're able to adjust it as it's going and you're getting real-time feedback from the metrics. That's like, you know, you're still at the plate. You've got a number of swings. You've got yeah. three outs, you know. Um but yeah, I'm I'm glad that you uh, urged me to see it. I think it's there's just so many so many ways that this that the movie worked. It was great to see them back together. I hope that they continue to do things. Obviously, the movie's been successful. The way that they made it was successful. I certainly, could talk about it at some point. It was basically a you know i'm air quoting here a big budget movie but a big name mm-hmm. movie that basically took place in one room yeah you know they they in a way they kind of took that duplass playbook from the last mm-hmm. few years and just put a little bit more money behind it and some bigger names and then everybody has a piece of it and uh i from what i understand with the purchase from prime and everything that yeah that that gamble that that first venture out has worked out well for them so i hope to see more of it and the nice thing is we're not really seeing that storytelling you know if this is what we have to do to have options beyond a marvel superhero movie or you know um a a trilogy of films you know we want these tent poles and things you know if this is how we can do some quiet still very exciting storytelling then maybe they're finding a, a a playbook that works. And so yeah. take a look at it. And certainly from a marketing perspective, that's so many meta levels from just the movie itself, the stories around it, seeing how they were operating and trying to get, you know, Jordan at that time and just imagining being in those rooms and trying to make those decisions. Uh, really, really interesting. Yeah. Lots to think about for sure. All right, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon on the next Marketable. 
Marketable is produced by Notice Pictures. We make podcasts, documentary, and narrative films and are the trusted marketing collaborators for a number of brands and organizations. Check out our work by visiting noticepictures.com. If you'd like to chat or have a topic you want us to explore, drop us a line at marketable at noticepictures.com. And of course, please subscribe, rate, and review the show. 